Welcome to Sound of Truth Weekly Interview, where we have conversations with ordinary people to learn how our extraordinary God is at work in people's lives and in the world today. I'm your host, Brett Morani, and I'm excited you've joined us. For the fourth time, it may be a record at this point, Jamie, joining me on Sound of Truth podcast is Jamie Vanden Heuvel. Jamie, is that Dutch? That is quite Dutch. Yes, it yeah, is. Yeah, I kind of figured that. Van anything is, is Dutch. I thought so. Yeah. How many letters is in your last name? 12, I think. Yes, I believe that's right. A dozen letters in the... Does that ever... Do you ever get tired of that, honestly? I, I am proud that my children now know how to spell it. It took them their whole adult life to get there, but <laughs> no, I, I digress. So, so um, there are two capitals there, too. There's a capital V and a capital H. So... Um, there's a lot going on with that name for yeah. sure. And, and so I usually just abbreviate um, down here. I just say, like, if I'm leaving my name for a reservation, Van, right? Jamie Van. Right. So because it, it's and actually say, phonetically, it sounds just like it's written, really. It, right. It, it but, does. But yeah. it's just overwhelming. So people are like, whoa. So, but. And then people say, is that with one N or two Ns? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> they should. If they were, if they were clever, they would, they would say that. I always say I had to have a very, uh, I had to have broad shoulders for in sports when you have your name on your jersey. Oh yeah, no kidding. Yeah. So how do you fit all that on there, right? You don't. It's hyphenated. No. Well, all that to say, welcome back, Jamie. Thank you. Thank Good you. to have Great you back. To be here. Jamie is my wife and I's personal financial advisor. We trust him with our money. Is basically what that means uh, to be able to grow it, and he does it in a way that we are thrilled about. He's, he's done a good job growing our money, but also he does it in a biblically responsible way. In fact, that was the, the topic of our last episode in which we were together, biblically responsible investing. If our listeners have not heard that episode, I want to encourage them to go back to episode number 136. And if you go back a few episodes before that, episode 133 was first steps to financial freedom. And then go all the way back to that first year of the podcast, two years ago, long time ago. <laughs> And that was uh, when you shared your testimony with us. So we got to know you as a person and a little bit about your family. And also you introduced us to this, uh, you know, we started talking to you about financial issues from a biblical perspective. And we talked about the subject of debt. So three great episodes. I'm trusting this one's going to be great as well. You said you'd like to talk about staying the course in terms of sticking with sound financial principles in the midst of an economy in which you're tempted not to do so. Yes. And, yes. and I, I think this is very timely. We're living in the midst of inflation like I don't recall in my lifetime, especially as an adult. I remember the 70s they talked about, but I was a kid back then. Right. But houses cost a lot. Cars cost more than I've ever seen them. I mean, it seems ridiculous how much a, a vehicle is. Uh, and I guess I'm speaking right now because as one who's needing to add another one to our family, right. and I'm like, oh my goodness, how right. can we afford a vehicle right now? Gas is up, groceries. Yes, yes. Wow. Right. Most Americans are middle class. It's not like all these middle class Americans are suddenly making so much more money to be able to make up the difference in that. So I'm sure the temptation is great to say, you know what? I can't stick with this budget that I'm living by that I learned from way back in the day, for us at least, Larry Burkett. Yep. Or more recent history, Dave Ramsey, mm -hmm. it's tempting to say, no, you know what? We got to shift this budget over and we got to do things differently or we're going to have to go in debt or what do you have to say for the 
for those of us who are really struggling to figure this out? Well, I think the practical thing with with budgets and, and the cost of things is to try to be frugal. And so you don't necessarily have to do without, but you can try to get creative on how to stretch your dollars further. So I think we all know, you know, I love to shop at Publix. I, I love Publix, but there are less expensive grocery store stores out there and couponing back in the day. We, we did a lot of that. And uh, my wife was so frugal with, she would stretch. Uh, there's still to this day, I don't understand how all that works. You get a coupon for this or for that. And you, anyway, there's a lot of that that still happens. And, and so there are some creative ways to stretch dollars. But my thought was, you know, when the markets pull back, as they did really 2022 was a, an anomaly of a year. If, if I, as a financial advisor, I look at how things have fared over the last five years, we've had some dramatic increase, just rapid growth years where you could invest in anything and be successful. And last year was not only the equity markets were down, all the stocks that people would own are mutual funds. Also the bond markets were down and normally those move in kind of opposite directions. Money runs out of equities and into bonds, and that, that usually is a safe haven for, for when stocks are doing bad. But because the Fed was pushing interest rates up, there's an inverse relationship with the value of bonds, and therefore bond values dropped. Now, I say all this to say, so pretty much everything was down last year, and that really puts the stress on somebody that's an investor because they're not seeing these returns. And I've flagged a lot of phone calls with concerns. And part of my job then is to be a psychologist to just make sure we have the appropriate perspective for the long haul. And if somebody just can't stomach down markets, then we need to reassess why they're invested. What, what's the time frame? What's the goal of the money? And there may be actually a deeper um, anxiety issue there that we might need to, to talk about too. And that could kind of get into some Christian counseling, frankly. Mm -hmm. But um, I think it's very important to just keep in mind the markets go through cycles. And I think if, if you're a 10 or a 20 year investor, if your retirement dollars are, are invested with a time horizon of 10 to 20 years, we're going to have a couple cycles like this that it doesn't make sense why, but the markets drop. Mm -hmm. But I think it's safe to, to look at financial graphs and to say, okay, if we stay the course, we know what averages should be. And what I would anticipate out of a down year like last year, we're going to have an overcorrection on the upside at some point. So mm -hmm. the, bad, the bad thing to do is to try to time the market and get in and get out. We really don't know when it's going to move, and it does move very quickly, and statistics support that. So it's very important to figure out a plan based on some proven logic and stick to it. And unless you have some very, some changes that come your way that would make you deviate, try to avoid you know, knee-jerk reactions because you usually lose when you do that. When you panic, you usually you lose, is what Absolutely you're saying. Absolutely true. Yeah. Dave Ramsey says, you don't jump off the roller coaster while it's in motion. He looks at it as... When you're five years from the time of spending from whatever account you're invested in, five years out, you need to be thinking, okay, how much risk do I want to have with this bucket of money? Because a lot can happen in a quick period of time over five years. And I would say statistically, you probably need to back up a little bit, maybe seven years, but you need to know what kind of ride you can experience with the portfolio that you're focused on 
Um, and as you get inside that seven to five years, it's very important to, to know what your risk tolerance is. And that's really kind of what we're talking about. So if a person wants to retire at 65 years old, then you're saying at 58 years old, you probably need to shift out of the high risk type of investments and start moving more conservatively and, and put your money in, in more stable places that are less likely to lose you a lot of money when it's time to retire. Also, less likely to bring you a lot of great returns because that's the nature of investments, right? That's right. Yeah, it's really risk and reward. The more, the more exposure you have to stocks, the greater the potential for the return, but also the deeper losses in a short period of time. And so for most people at 58 to 60, prior to a, a targeted 65-year-old, your uh, retirement target, that would make sense for most people, most investors, but not all. Some, some investors are much more comfortable with risk and knowing and, and understanding how the market fluctuates. Mm -hmm. And so we really kind of have to fine tune what is the tolerance for risk for the individual. So, but in general, yes, the closer you get to that retirement date, the more conservative, the less equities is what that means. And the more fixed income, bond holdings, CDs, money market, treasuries, things like that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you got it. You know, on social media, you get exposed to a lot of perspectives from people, and some people are like, pull out of the market, invest in silver or gold, and do you have an opinion on that? Yes, it's a good question. So, it is true that commodities is what gold or silver is. They do perform differently than equities and bonds. Sometimes when like this past year. Define equities for us. Yes. Yeah, so equities as a stock. So yeah. that is ownership in a company. Either through mutual funds or through stocks alone, or, or is it including mutual funds when you say equities? It would be both equities. Yes, that's what I was yep, thinking. Equities okay. would be owning an individual stock or owning stocks in a basket uh, created by a mutual fund or in a retirement plan uh, through um, a 401k plan. The investments might be an index fund, an S&P 500 index fund is built of a balance of the 500 um, stocks, largest stocks in the U.S. economy. Mm -hmm. So when the statistically we, we know that there are certain characteristics when equities rise, money flows into stocks and mutual funds made with stocks and out of the bond market. Typically they, they work in different directions and that that's historically pretty accurate. A commodity, a gold, silver, they kind of march to their own drummer and sometimes they will be up when stocks and bonds are down. So some people like to own them in a portfolio because they don't carry the same characteristics as stocks and bonds. Now, if a lot of people hear the advertisements and their paid advertisements to get people in down markets to put money with them. The U.S. dollar is not based upon the gold standard any longer. Mm -hmm. And that was back in the, Nixon. I believe, 70s. Yeah. So when we're owning gold or silver, my thought is, are we thinking perhaps the markets are going to completely collapse and we would then use gold or silver to trade? Because if that's the case, first of all, we should know how to farm too. <laughs> um, yeah, you're right? really talking moving to a prepper type mentality at that's, that point. That's right. right. And, and also gold bars, that would be like having a $1,000 bill. You're not going to be able to cash it. Mm -hmm. So you would probably want silver coins perhaps if that mm -hmm. were the thought process. But I think a small percentage of a portfolio could be built with commodities, gold or silver. But 
it just is not something that's going to, um, you don't want to pull all your, put all your eggs in that that, basket. Yes. Metaphorically speaking. Correct. The cost of college has not gone down. I know a lot of families in our season of life are looking at that. What should we do about college with our kids? Let's see how we can afford it. Do we go in debt for it? Do we have them going? Do we push our kids into debt themselves for this and encourage that? So it's interesting that I just, it's a Tuesday today and over this past weekend, I was in Panama City visiting my my mom and dad who vacationed out there. And that's a um, spring break location, mm-hmm. and which is really odd to have retired people in spring break happening at the same. Just weird. It's really strange. But and you can just leave me out of that city during that time. However, <laughs> I just realized there's a lot of money being spent on just being young and dumb, mm. and a lot of college funding is spent on that. And that just is really frustrating to me as a, as a parent or a grandparent, perhaps spending money just now like, you're saying specifically, you see these kids spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars, if not thousands on a week of vacation Yes, yes. when that could be going toward paying for their education, not being in debt. That's what you're saying. I do. That's exactly what I'm yeah. saying. Okay. And not, not to mention we're, we're spending money. We don't have, I can't imagine these kids have the money to go live just crazy mm-hmm. and probably developing some terrible habits too. So mm-hmm. on top of all of that. So it's just, I, I'm all for having fun, but that, that's, it's crazy. And, and if you're in debt to go do that, it's just, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. Mm-hmm. So, and that's not even talking about college and the cost of actual tuition and room and board and actually going to school. So that's kind of a side note. So, but just like we were talking about being frugal with grocery shopping, for example, when things are expensive, the same thing is true with, with colleges and universities, you know, the same coursework can be found at a community college as can be at the most prestigious university. The 100 level classes don't have to come from where you graduate. Why spend $50,000 a year for four years at a private school that's got a good reputation when you can go to the community college and knock it out a fraction of the cost the first two years, then go spend your 50 if you have to, or whatever for those two years and get that degree from that school you want. That's right. You've, Almost cut the cost in half. Absolutely true. For the same piece of paper, when you're going to a job, they're not going to say, now, did you go all four years there? <laughs> exactly right. That's well, exactly you're, right. You're, we're not going to interview you if you didn't go all four That's years right. there. Right. We not long ago had that very discussion with, with my daughter at the time who was getting her degree. She graduated from FIU online mm-hmm. and she was a 4.0 student. Wow. And, and so at the time... That's she, Florida International University. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. And so she graduated and we walked in Miami is where Florida International University is. Right. That was the first time she'd been on campus. Isn't that something? Yes. So in that, she didn't take all of her coursework there, but she went to FSCJ. And so, so that was an example of kind of walking that out. Whereas my son went to Johnson University up in Tennessee mm-hmm. and was there the the whole four years. Were they able to both graduate debt-free? They were. Yeah. And that was, it can be done. It can be done. And that was the goal going in. And I think for parents, and you're not a multimillionaire, Jamie, I'm assuming. I'm not. I mean, I'm just saying people can do this to still today. You can get a college degree without going into debt. You can do this. Yes. So cars, a lot of people say, well, I but I got to have reliable transportation. I've I've just got to spend more money right now. I got to go in debt for this vehicle. What do you say to that? Hogwash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I drive a 2005 Toyota Tundra, and I've had it for a long time. I don't even remember, but it's got 335, just about 335,000 miles on it. And now looks good too. It, I'm looking out the window here in the a, parking it's lot. It's very nice. It's dependable and it's safe and it looks presentable. It, it's getting older now, but so am I. And, yeah, and we both are. <laughs> clean up a little bit. So anyway, yeah. but so again, for some people to make the excuse, I have to buy a brand new or a almost new car and go into debt mm-hmm. because it's safe. I, I, I don't agree, but there are values out there there. You have to kind of look and, um, I think it would be wise to make sure a mechanic takes a peek at a vehicle for you to help you. But vehicles, as we all know, if you buy one brand new, no offense, but you're losing thousands of dollars when you drive it off the showroom. And and that that's not needed. So probably what a lot of us have done, because middle-class Americans have had it so good for so long, mm-hmm. and now we're starting to find ourselves trying to figure out how to pinch pennies. Would it be wise for someone to take an inventory to, I don't know if you've ever done this. I have not, but I've, I've heard in like economic courses in college, well, they'll, they'll have you for two weeks, let's say, give an account of every penny you spent. Did you ever do that? I have. I've done that. Okay. I have. And that, that is a very detailed and old school way to do a budget. And it's frankly kind of shocking to see what, where money is going. So that can be a very useful tool. Like I said, I've never done that before, but I've heard it's an incredibly eye-opening experience. It is. And people find ways that they can actually save quite a bit of money they didn't realize they were wasting that they didn't need to do. True. I, I would encourage folks to, to do that. Yeah, even, so walk us through that. What, what would that look like? Yeah, even if it's in a, in a loose way, if you sat down right now and tried to think through your expenses for the month, you'd really get lost fast. You'd forget a lot of things. So what you have to do is you'd have to every day kind of adapt that, that budget, that expense tracking. And it could be as, as crude as on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. The more time that you do this, if you do this for a week or two, then you see some rhythms to where your money is going. And, and then you could probably capture the strange purchases after just a couple of weeks of getting very detailed because you get into the, the rhythm. You know when certain things are budgeted, um, expenses, rent, um, utilities. You know when they come out every month and you know about how much they cost. But same thing with gas, fuel, mm-hmm. uh, food. You probably get into a rhythm. But all of a sudden you go out to a movie. That's kind of not a normal thing. So you you'll know to kind of start to track that. So as you do this, it takes a couple months to really understand what your actual expenses are on average each month. It Mm -hmm. takes some time, but I think everybody needs to know that because if you don't know what you're spending money on, it's kind of like somebody trying to lose weight. If you don't know what you're eating, you're not going to be able to lose weight because how many calories are you burning? You have to be able to track it. So that, that would be a really good experience to just very carefully Take note of where your money is going. And I think that alone would be an eye-opening experience to, wow, that's expensive. You know, my going to Starbucks three times a week, that's pretty expensive. I could... Yeah, you're paying $5 for a cup of coffee. Yeah. Why not buy at the grocery store, fix it yourself in the morning, and save probably hundreds of dollars a year? And we all know this, but we're, we don't want to know the truth about it. Because yeah. there's a lot of things, and these are things that we... We do because we want to, because we enjoy it. And so you kind of have to get serious. Dave Ramsey says you get tired of, you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. And it takes that 
before I can you think do about something extreme. To a couple of years ago, I found myself going through the drive-through at McDonald's or going through a convenience store and getting something to drink. I was hooked on Coke. Coca-Cola, that is. Yeah, right. <laughs> I want to clarify <laughs> here. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, dollar here, dollar fifty there. Every single day, I was spending over $30 a month on getting a soft drink. I could have saved money by going and purchasing at Walmart or whatever. But even better, I ended up quitting and drinking water. Ended up losing a little weight and being healthier and was saving over 30 bucks a month. Right. Out of my budget. And that's a fairly small thing. That's just yeah. a habit. That's over, so, four, what, $420 a year roughly or whatever? And Or more? I don't, my math's horrible, so. And that, and that would, you put that into an investment over years, it, it's amazing how that would grow. So there is money in a budget to find dollars, either to reduce debt, if debt's a problem, or to invest. Mm. So that, that's a very simple way to do just that. So, and it's rather enlightening. So I would encourage people to, to do that. Take, take a stab at it for a couple of weeks. You'd be surprised. So if our listeners, if you do that, we'd love to hear from you if you try that and what a difference it made. So Jamie, it's great to have you back. Sound of truth, talking financial wisdom, talking financial investments. So uh, we'll have you back again in the future, Lord willing, if you're willing to come back again. Would love to. Put yes. up with more punishment for my questions and stuff. So. <laughs> But uh, enjoyed having you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sound of Truth. If you enjoyed it, please rate and review it. Also, tell your friends about it. Thanks. Music is by Canon and is used by permission. Sound of Truth podcast is produced in collaboration with Harvest Jacksonville and is copyrighted by Brett Amorani, 2023.